So we're going to give a shorter schmooze this morning. Um, hope everybody is uh, enjoying the weather. Um, and uh, we're going to start uh, by a pasuk at the beginning of this week's parsha, which is Parsha's Bite. The parsha speaks about the Makkah of Arbe. And the pasuk in Parak Yud, pasuk Hey, says, V'achal es yeser ha Describing the Arbe, it says in the warning to Parai that you, the Arbe, these locusts are going to eat whatever is remaining, Hanisheres lachem min that was remaining for you from the Barad, from the hail, meaning the last Mako was hail, and the hail killed most of the crops, some of it was saved, and so whatever was saved, whatever remains, Hanisheres lachem, is what we're going to, uh, what you're going to uh, be struck with through the Arba. The Arba is going to be eating and consuming whatever leftover crop there might have remained, Hanisheres Lochem, from the Barad. And then it says, Vachales Kolha Eitz, and it's going to eat all of the trees, Hatzamech Lochem and Asad, meaning all the fruits that remain from the Barad, that grew and still were on the tree from Barad the Arba is going to eat all those remnants. Now, if you take note of the diktuk, or of the Lashon, I should say, of the Pasuk, it says, Hanish'eres lachem min ha-barad, that remained for you from the Barad, and then it says, V'achal eskaleit ha-tzameach lachem min ha-sada. It keeps using that word lachem, that it was remaining for you. Why couldn't it just say, Hanish'eres min ha-barad? And in fact, just to make the question a little stronger, in Pasuk Yud Beis, when it actually happened, when the Maka went from a warning to, to real life, the Pasuk records what happened. And it ate all of the grass of the earth. It just says what the Barad left over. It doesn't say, It just says, this is what whatever the Barad left over, that's what the Arbeid. Why in the warning does it keep on having to stress that there was something that was left over for you from the Barad. That was my question. To answer this question, I want to share with you a beautiful yesaid uh, that we find in, par- in last week's parsha by the Barad, where we have a very strange uh, pasuk, or tupsukim, in the middle of, uh, in the, middle of the Barad, it says that the Barad happened, Everything got killed, everything was struck. Um, and then Maish Rabbeinu, after being beseeched by Parad to Davin, he says, okay, when I leave the city, I'm going to spread out my hands to Hashem, and then all the sounds will stop from the Barad, and all of the, and the Barad will no longer be, and then you should know that everything belongs to Hashem. And then he said, and then the Pasuk says like this, the hapishta vasa'ira nukasa, which means the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was ripe and the flax was in its stalk. Meaning that was killed. The flax and the barley were things that were affected by the barad because they were very, very strong. They were in their stalks. They were, the barley was ripe. So when things are very ripe and firm, so that's subject to getting really pushed around by the barad and by the forces of nature. However, the Pasuk says, The wheat and the spelt 
were not struck, because they ripen later. They're later to ripen, meaning that they're softer, they're more flexible, and therefore they're not going to get knocked down by a strong wind. We know that if there is uh, something that's very, sometimes you have a hurricane and it like could rip down big cedar trees, very big tall trees, but yet the little grass on the ground, because it's so soft and flexible, it might blow really hard, but it pops back up. So the Pasuk is like giving a little description of like what the damage was during this Makkah of Barad, and it's telling us all the way at the end, after telling us what happened, it gives us like a, uh, a post-mortem, like sort of what exactly uh, did the fields look like. The flax and the barley were struck because they were uh, the barley was ripe, the flax was in a stalk, but you should know that the wheat and the spelt were not struck for they ripen later. Now, who cares? Like, really, does that really pertain to us like that? You know, you're giving us a lesson in, uh, you know, in agriculture here, what things do get struck by who, what things don't. The point is that some things were struck, some things were not struck. So you have to see the Ramban there, but I want to share with you a beautiful yisaid that we have from Reb Kiveger. Reb Kiveger in his Drush V'chidush, uh, Sefer that he has on Drushas and Chidushim of his, he says the following... He says that the reason why uh, the Pasuk speaks about the differences between Chita and, and Kusamis, uh, as opposed to, Kusamis as opposed to uh, the Pishta and the Sa'ira, the fact that it says that the wheat and the spelt were so, uh, they were late to, uh, to ripen and therefore they were not struck, says Reb Kiveger, that the reason that this was so important to mention at this point uh, in the middle of when Meish Rabbein was talking to Parai, is because even though it should have really appeared, as we said earlier, when we were describing what happened, but Meish Rabbeinu himself was telling Parai exactly, if you notice, if you'd go out to your fields and survey the damage, so you would see yourself that certain things remained and certain things did not remain. What did remain? What did remain was the things that were nice and soft. What did not remain? What got broken? What got killed and burrowed? Well, the things that got broken and burrowed were the things that were very, very stiff and, and, and they didn't bend. And if you're inflexible, that's a very bad midah. Rabbi Kiveger says that Meish Rabbeinu was sending this as a direct, custom-made message to Pare. He wasn't just telling him exactly which uh, stalks and which uh, which crops remained in the fields after the barred, which didn't remain in the field after the barred. Nobody cares. But the message that he was sending to Paro was that if you are going to be flexible, if you're going to be able to bend when you have to bend and and listen to the Dvar Hashem when you have to, things will be good for you. You will be able to survive even Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, there's a lot of other makas coming. We have in this parish alone three makas, and, uh, topped off, of course, by the crowning maka, which is um, makas b'chayres, par himself as a b'chayr. And he should be very scared about what was going to happen. Klai Yisrael, their destiny is to leave Mitzrayim and to go into the Midbar and to get the Taira and then go to Eretz Yisrael. We are going to be on the right side of history. If you want to join and you want to let us go and you want to be more flexible and stop with your stubbornness, you, like the soft, 
wheat in the field, like the wheat, like the spelt, those are things that were soft. They were, they were late bloomers and they, they didn't ripen yet. And because they were so soft, they had the ability to survive the Makkah of Barad. If you're going to be intransigent, if you're going to be stubborn, and you're not going to want to let us out, and you're going to keep on hardening your heart, well, guess what's going to happen to you? The same fate that happened to the pishta and the sa'ira, to the flax and the barley that were ripe, and the flax was in its stalk, meaning they were ripe, they were standing, they were straight, they were inflexible. The stalk was not able to bend at all. If that's the way you want to go, then you're warned, but... You should be on the right side of history. You should be able to, to roll with the punches, accept what is happening, hop that you are uh, on the ropes right now and that things are not looking good for you and just concede. Sometimes you have to just say, I, I lost. And then if you say you lost, sometimes you know you'll, the, the other forces will have Rachmanis on you. So that's Rabbi Kivager. Rabbi Kivager says that in the middle of the Makkah of Barad, Meshra as he's talking to Paris, says, and by the way, there's a message for you to be taken from the crops in, in your fields that it's not just by chance that, uh, that some of them stayed alive and some of them did not, that some of them remain for you and some of them do not, but rather it's a message to you, Paray, that you should understand that if you want to stay, if you want to be able to survive this hurricane, this storm, this universal Makkah of Baro that's on you, you have to be able to be soft and be flexible and give in and say, okay, you're right, and go and, and stay, stay gone. We don't want to see you anymore. But if you're going to continue with your stubbornness, says Rabbi Vegar, Maish Rabbeinu was saying, you're not going to remain. And of course, that's, power did not take that message, and therefore the Makkah's continued. And we go into Parashas Bay from there. That was the end of Parashas Ve'era. And right at the beginning of Parashas Bay, he's warned about the Makkah of of Arbe. And so what I was thinking to say is that that could be the answer to our question. We answer, we ask the question, why does in the warning to Paray it have to say, that remain for you from the Barad. It was, all of these were for you, Paray. These were messages, whatever did remain, those crops, those the wheat and the spelt that remained because they were uh, late bloomers, because they were soft and they were flexible, Hanisharas lachem, you should understand that those remain for you, but they're not going to remain for you much longer. The window is closing and you didn't take your lesson, so the Arab is going to come and even eat that. Later on, when we're describing the actual Makkah, doesn't have to say Anisharis that was Nishar for the Mitzvah, and we get that, obviously. But in the warning shot that, Par- that Meshur Rabbeinu gave Paray, he underscored the fact that these crops are Nisharis Lachem. These were supposed to be directed lessons to Paray, to you, to be able to learn such a vital lesson in life, and that is to always be flexible and not to be one of these people that are stubborn and they can never, uh, you know, understand when things are not going their way and when they have to, you know, you have to know when to hold them and you have to know when to fold them as the, as the famous song goes. Now, just in regards to this concept that Ruki Vega is talking about, uh, the importance of being uh, somewhat flexible in life and not always insisting on getting your way, not always being so stubborn. So I want to share with you a Gemara. We had it um, 
We had it in the Daf uh, in Maseches Tainus. It's a fascinating Gemara. Just want to read it together with you. The Gemara is on Daf Chaf Ahmed Aleph, and it goes to Chaf Ahmed There was a, a story about Maisa Shabbar Reb Lazar Reb Shimon. Reb Lazar Reb Shimon was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. And he came from a city called Migdal Gedar, from the house of his rabbi. And he was steiging, he had a great zman, and he was steiging, and he was doing so well. And he was very, uh, he was, uh, very proud of himself. He was riding on a chamar, on a donkey, and he was going on the river bank. V'samach Simcha Gedali was very, very overjoyed. The Gemara says he was a little arrogant. He was a little uh, gaivadik because he felt he was the king of the world. He just had a great zman. He was doing so well. Everything was going his way. He learned a lot. He was a big masmid. And, uh, and he was uh, very proud. And that pride affected him in a certain way. It, was, uh, uh, it got to his head. So he meets up with this person on the road. He's, he's riding on his camel, on his donkey, and he meets a person that was exceedingly ugly. And this person that was ugly said to him, Shalom Alecha Rebbe. He gave him Shalom. But he did not answer him. He didn't answer him. He didn't feel like that. Maybe he felt he was beneath him, or he didn't want to even be associated with such a person with, with such a bad appearance. He says, boy, oh boy, like how ugly is that man? Meaning, he said to this person, this, this ugly person, and it's sort of, it needs a lot of beer, why he would say this, how he could say this. But in any event, he says, you're very ugly, and maybe all the people from your town are as unattractive as you. Amrlai, any idea? He says, I don't know. So one should go to the uman, to the artist that made me, and ask him, you know, about how uh, uh, if everybody's so ugly. I mean, I didn't make myself. When a person is not good looking, it's not like they did anything uh, to cause that. It's it's genetics. It's from it's the way the Rabbi Shalom created him. So what you're 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 having tainus on me that I'm ugly? Go complain to God. And you should say how ugly is the vessel that you created? So how you metayel acharav? So all of a sudden it dawned on on this great uh, on this uh, on this on this Tamar on on Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon Atana. It occurred to him that he had really messed up, that he should never have said that. And he felt very bad. So he felt very bad. And he was starting to like go into makeup mode with, uh, with this ugly person. And so he follows him and, he, uh, and he's begging Mechila. So all the people from his town came out to visit him to greet Rabbi Lazar of Shimon because, you know, he was a great Tamachacham and they probably had big signs up, Tzadik Balair, and, uh, you know, a very, very big honor guard in preparation of his arrival. And so he comes in together with this, uh, this other person and he says that, um, 
And the Hayoimrim line, and this whole honor guard says to him, Shalom Alecha Rabbi, Rabbi Mairi, Shalom Alecha Rabbi, Rabbi Mairi Mairi. They were like throwing and piling on praises. Amrlam, so the ugly one said to them, to this horde of people, Lumiatim Kayan Rabbi, Rabbi, who are you calling Rabbi, Rabbi? Who, who, are you calling me Rabbi, Rabbi? Who's, who's the Rabbi, Rabbi? Amrulai, they said to him, the one that's chasing after you, the one that's following you, he's, he's a, he's a tremendous tzaddik, he's a tremendous tamachacham, he's our rabbi. So, Amrulahem, he said to them, if that's a rabbi, there should be no other rabbis like that in Klai Yisrael, meaning he was so offended. And rightfully so, but he was so offended and so hurt that he refused to like even uh, begin to be Michaelim. Why, why are you saying that? The people want to know, like, give, give us the hack. Like, what are you, what are you getting, what are you so uh, upset about with him? So, he said, he told him the whole story, what happened. So they said to him, please do us a favor, be Michaelim, Sha'adam Gadobatairu. He is a great man in Tyra. So be Michaelim just for the covet of Tyra. Amrlahem Bishvilchim Bishvilchem Harini Michaelai. No. I will be Michaelim just because of you, because I like you guys, but you know, otherwise I would never be Michael in a million years. Obulvat Shaye Ragalas is Kane. As long as he never does that again. I don't want to ever catch him, you know, speaking disparagingly against anyone again. And then I will uh, be Michalim, but just for your sake. As soon as this whole story happened, Sir Belazar who was the, the Tamar Chacham in the story, he went with Darash Nidarshan, a person should always be soft, like a reed. Valye Kashakaras, and you should never be as, as strong and as uh, unbendable as an Erez, as a cedar tree. Ulafichach Zacha Kana Lita Haimena Kolmos, Lichta Bai Sefer Taira, Tefillin Umezuzas. And that's the reason that a Sefer Taira, Tefillin Umezuzas, are, are, are written with what instrument? They're not written with a pen. They're not written with a, with a pencil. They're not written with, uh, with iron, with steel. They're written with a colmus, like with a feather, with a, with a reed. You know why? Because the reed has this myla, that it's not stubborn. Say whatever you want about a reed, but it's not a stubborn thing. It's able to blow. When the wind blows, it's able to bend. And it bends and it, it goes all the way down when it bends, but then it's resilient and it comes back up. But that is a, that's why the Saber Tyra Tfilin, because the whole Tyra, the whole Tyra and Tfilin and Mezuzas, and by the way, if you want to look at a beautiful uh, Ramban about Tfilin and Mezuzas, um, and the side of how they tie into into Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and to really the lessons of why we were born and why, why Hashem created the world and why Hashem uh, gave us mitzvahs, uh, you have to look at the Ramban at the end of Parashas Bay. It's the, not arguably, undebatably, the most famous and possibly the most important Ramban in all of Chumash. Everybody knows the Ramban at the end of Parashas Bay. You know, it's if you're ever, you know, going to be a, uh, 
a Rebbe, or you're going to be a Mashkiach, or you're going to even be dating girls that went to seminary. You have to know this famous Ramban at the end of Harshas Bay because it's world famous and, and, uh, you know, my mashkiach, when I was uh, a bachar, used to, you know, he used to quote it verbatim, like by heart, the whole Ramban. It's like, could I to memorize the Ramban? Because every line of this Ramban, I just learned it with my son yesterday, who's in Eretz Yisrael. Um, so we were learning it on the phone together. He asked me to learn it with him. And so it's unbelievable. Every line, I kept saying, okay, this is a very famous line. No, no, this is a very famous line. Every line in the Ramban is very famous. And, uh... Yeah, so it's the Ramban at the end of Parashas Bay where he speaks about Nisim, Nisim Gedailim, and Mufur Samim, and Nisim, uh, uh, and the, you know, Nisim, Nisim Nistarim, how everything in life is. Anyway, but there, there's a fascinating Ramban, he, he ties in with buying a mezuzah, which is very cheap, he says. It's a kind of mezuzah, mezuzah that you, you buy a mezuzah with a single zuz. So all the ascites that you get from it, and all the schus that you get from it, and anyway, it's Kedai to look at that Ramban, but that's just a, uh, uh, an aside, but the the writing of a Sefer Torah, Tefillin Mezuzas, which is really the site of our Amuna, is based on being Rach Kikana. The tool that writes these things are the tools that uh, that will be able to inspire us to be able to be kind of Torah, to be able to be kind of, You can't be uh, a Ben Torah if you're too stubborn. And, you know, and throughout history, you find that whether it's Paray or whether it's other, you know, despots throughout history, they were so stubborn, they were not able to understand the, the Yad Hashem. Well, you know, you go through, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, Balshatzar, Achashverosh, uh, you know, all the way down through to modern history, they don't, they don't understand that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, uh, runs the world. They don't understand that Klal Yisrael is the Amma Nivchar. They don't. They, so they make these uh, these stubborn decisions only to be knocked down. And when they get knocked down, they get totally knocked down. Whether it's all the superpowers, all the mighty empires of the world, uh, whether it's Mitzrayim or whether it's Bavel or whether it's Rome or whether it's Yavan, one after another, all these superpowers are gone because the fact that they were so powerful is exactly what did them in. That's exactly what did them in. They weren't able to bend. They, they had, it, had to always get their way. Uh, you know, Russia, Soviet Union was also, a, I think, a good example of this in, in more recent times, how people that are stubborn and they were insistent on, on sticking to their hashkafa, even when they saw that it wasn't working and they, it lasted for 70 years, communism, and then it just collapsed. Because it really, uh, on the most part, doesn't work because people are corrupt. But all of that, until they admitted that it was a failure, they had to go through 70 years of, of purging people, you know, by the tens of millions of people. How many people, Lenin and Stalin and all of the communists, how many Jews were killed during the, that period? How many people in general, their own neighbors, their friends, their countrymen were all because they refused to accept the reality and so in our personal world, we have to try very hard to be much more flexible. This doesn't mean that we should be flexible, of course, in, in, in ruchniyastika things. We're not looking to say, all right, so let's, uh, we should bend in terms of tefillah Sibor, we should bend in terms of, uh, of our diktuk in halacha, we should bend in terms of our limerat taira, in terms of our, of course not, that's obvious now we're talking. I'm talking about bending in bein adam being able to be mevater, being able to uh, concede, to be able to give in, 
to not always be so stubborn, to not always have to get the last word, and to not always be the the one that everybody has to ask mechila from. You know, we we're not able to be meichel other people, and we we take it to the grave. Certain grievances that we have, certain grudges that we that we nurse. It's a, it's such an important point. This is what Rabbi Kiveger said as the pshat that Pare was warned about. Don't be stubborn. Don't be like those the other types of things that remained in the stalk and they got knocked down, they got destroyed by the wind. You have to be much more flexible. You have to be like the like the chita and like the and like the the things that are that are able to be afilaisena and and later blooming and not not and be able the more flexible we are in life the more that we're going to be able to succeed uh, in everything that we do, whether it's being a good chavrusa, whether it's being a good friend, good, being a good child, being a good, a good parent, being a good husband, a good wife, all of the, um, you know, all the relationships, being a good employee, a good employer, a member of a shul, a member of a team, whatever you do, you have to be able to be flexible. If, you're, if it's always my way or the highway, it, it just doesn't work in life. It just doesn't work. You have to learn the art of vatranus, of giving in, of conceding. And there's so many stories, you know, so many stories. I'll tell you just one story that comes to mind. When Rebbe Yashiv, Sechitzadik Levracha, was in the hospital, so he needed, uh, on Shabbos, they wanted to lane. And uh, so they had just a minion of people, Mispalim, in the hospital. And they were going to lane in, I think, in, in Rebbe Yashiv's uh, hospital room. Or maybe there was a base medish. I'm not sure exactly where it took place. But anyway, they asked around the hospital, is there anyone that's, uh, that, that's able to lane this Shabbat? Anyone know the Parsha? There was one, like, like a 14-year-old boy in the hospital, from boy, and he knew the Parsha. So they said, okay, you, you have a very big schus. You're going to have the schus to lane for a Yashiv. It's tremendous schus. God to, to be mitzim and kriya satayro. So, anyway, the boy, uh, the boy leaned, and he did a beautiful job. And afterwards, Rebbe Yashiv uh, spoke to him and asked him, like, why are you, what, what are you doing in the hospital? You did such a beautiful job. What's a young boy doing in the hospital? He says, he says, my mother has Yana Machla. She's very, very sick. And she's in, uh, you know, in this, in this room. And uh, she needs a big bracha. And could you please, uh, could you please uh, ben- daven for her? And this is her name. Uh, and that's why I'm in the hospital. And he said, tell me something like what? Or they asked him afterwards, he said, like, is this your bar mitzvah parasha? He said, uh, yes. I said, oh, so you laned it last year. So they, he, they, he said, well, not exactly. I didn't really lane it last year by my bar mitzvah. I said, well, why not? So you, you learned it, but you didn't lane it? He says, yeah. What happened was that there was some mess up in terms of the uh, the gabai of the shul in his calendar, and we were put down that I was going to be laning that parsha. That was my bar mitzvah parsha. But he also, for some reason, put a different boy in that shul that it was his his bar mitzvah parsha also that he was going to be the one to lane. And so both our families, our extended families, came that Shabbos, and. Um, and all of a sudden we hopped that, you know, we looked at each other and we said, oh, we got a problem here. And, you know, I don't know why they didn't divide the parasha. Apparently that wasn't an option. So this boy said, I'm a vater. I, lear- I, I really spent a long time learning how to lane this parasha. And obviously it would mean the world to me to lane it. 
but I'm not going to be stubborn. I'm not going to be kosher ke'eres. I'm not going to be like this tree that like cannot bend. I want to give in. I want to be mevater. And it's my zchus to be able to give up the leaning so that the other boy should get the, have the simcha of leaning his bar mitzvah parsha after learning it so hard. And they understood from then that that's the zchus that he had the following year to lean for Rebbe Yashiv. Because when a person could be bendable, when a person could be flexible and not stubborn and not always need to get, get his way and win, there are people in life, they have to win. Winning, you know, there's a famous, uh, I don't know, I think it was a football coach, I'm not sure, but maybe Vince Lombardi, I don't know. But he, I think he says winning isn't um, everything, winning is the only thing. Winning is in everything. Winning is the only thing. Meaning, there's no plan B. I have to win. There are people like that. There's no, there's no ever giving up a win, whether it's in sports, whether it's in business, whether you have to win. It's not shaykh not to win. Whether it's in politics, you see what's going on, you know, what happened on January 6th yesterday, the yard site of, uh, you know, of what happened a year ago, January 6th. Some people, they can't not win. They can't concede defeat. It's a, it's a perfect muscle of how a person should not be. A person asks, okay, I lost fair and square. I hope there's no uh, arch Republicans on this, uh, on this Zoom, but uh, um, you know, I lost fair and square. The elections were not rigged. They tried to you know, fight in every single court in the country, and every single court rejected every appeal. So it's enough. You know, Shalom Israel, you have another, you, you, in four years, you want to you fight it out again, you fight it out again, you go, you vote, you, know, you run again. But concede defeat, be a, be a gentleman, be a, be a human being. No, it's 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 rigged. It's, it's stolen. Stop the steal. You know, it's it's shtuyot. It doesn't make sense. But that's there are many people not as maybe extreme as that. But it's a great muscle of what a human being you know might become. Were it not for Musr, were it not for this Gemara and Tainus, were it not for Kivegers Vart. This is what we would all maybe naturally be. We would be people that I'm not being mevater. Let that, let the other guy be mevater. Why should I always be the one to be mevater? I want to win once in a while. I want to, you know, why should he? And and Steinemann used to always say, and it's a, it's a, it's been made famous. Like on a, there's like. Um, like posters that people hang up in their sukkah or they hang up in their in their homes. I have it in Great Jewish Inspiration. I I made my own uh, thing of it. Um, do I have a Great Jewish? No. Uh, whatever. But uh, Rav Steinman used to always say, "Nar hayisi v'gamza kanti." He didn't make that up. That's from Tillim. That I was young and I was old. V'loyra isi mevater nifsad. I never in my life, so I was young, and Rishonim says, I Baruch Hashem, I'm old, as an old man, never once in my life did I ever see somebody that bended, that folded, that was mevater, that was able to say, you win. Never did in my life did I ever see somebody that, was, that conceded defeat and accepted it and said, I'm happy that you should win. Nifsa, that he loses out. It seems like you're the loser, right? If you give up, if let's say there's a, you know, you're playing a football game and there's a suffolk whether or not the guy's foot was out of bounds or not out of bounds, whether he scored the shot after the buzzer, before the buzzer, whatever the, whatever the Dion is. So what do you do? You have to, Mamish, take it to a best. You have to do the, you know, Drishas Vachakiras and, 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 uh, and, um, and, 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 and what do you call it when you, when you look back at the video, uh, um, what do you call it when you look back at the video? Instant replay. Instant replay, thank you. You go look at the instant replay 
And, um, you know, these are things that are uh, very, very important. But you will not just say, you know what, you win. It's a Suffolk. I'm going to give you the win. No, no, no. I, I, we, have, we, we have a perfect record or we, uh, we want to get into the playoffs. It's all understandable. I, I'm not saying that, you know, I don't understand it. But Rav Steinemann says that the more a person is able to learn how to be mavater, how to fold, how to bend, how to just be easier... You'll win. You'll win. You're the winner. When you lose, you win. When it comes to everything, it's like that with Shalom Bayes in a marriage. If you're stubborn, you, you have to win every single fight that you have. You're not going to have a, a marriage. The only way that you win and how you get out is when you concede. Just let the other person win. Like what, at what cost do you have to win? With children, you know, sometimes people, like, they have to win every fight with their parents, or they have to, you know, I want Shana Hay, I want Shana Vav, I want, you know, if I don't, my parents don't let me stay that third year in Eretz Israel, the second, you know, we have to, like, Mamish, uh, you know, like, don't you don't have to win everything. It's important, and whatever, if it works out, great, but don't, you know, don't make yourself, you know, this intransient, uh, you know, intractable type of personality that you always have to win. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and when you lose, you lose gracefully. And you might even not have lost. It doesn't matter if you even rightfully won. But it's okay to say, you win, you take it. You, you know, it's, it's your victory, you know, be happy, it's good. I mean, that, when you have that type of attitude, it's not only good in Shamayim, but it's good in this world. You, your, your lifespan gets longer. You know, if you don't have to always be right and be perfect, then you'll be a happier human being. You're, you're not gonna, you're, you'll just be able to breathe more. You'll be able to live better with yourself. You know, you get an instant of, uh, of, of thrill of being the winner, but then you have a lifetime of guilt that you had to be, you know, that you made the other guy embarrassed or lose or whatever. And it doesn't, it doesn't play well internally when a person's not mavater. So this is a, a vital lesson to take from this parsha plus last week's parsha, the Gemara and Tainus. All of these are, and there are many, many other stories, of course, many other mekiris, uh about the importance of being a mavater. Um, but mitz Hashem, we should uh, we should really be zeichen not just to learn about being mavater, but actually to being one of these special people that always are able to be mavater, not to take things so to heart, not to be able to be, not to be so high strung like Para and oh, have a kveda salev and always be, you know, stubborn and unable to accept the reality as it's, as it's in front of us, but rather to be able to just be nice, fine, dignified people when we win, when we lose, it's all good. The Rabbi Nishalem, uh is in control and the Rabbi Nishalem has a cheshpen and the more you're mavater, the more you win. And with that, we're going to wish all of you a beautiful Shabbos and uh, a mitzvah Shem. Okay.